Welcome to episode 117 of Paper Talk, a series of podcast interviews featuring artists and professionals who are working in the fields of hand papermaking and paper art. I'm Helen Hebert, and I run Helen Hebert Studio, a hand papermaking studio in Colorado's Rocky Mountains, where I create artist books and installations. I also host the annual Redcliffe Paper Retreat and Papermaking Masterclasses here in the studio, and I run a membership program called The Paper Year and teach online classes about paper, light, and books, too. Find out more at HelenHebertStudio.com. You can also find the show notes for this episode at HelenHebertStudio.com slash podcast. Today, I'm talking with Kit Davey, a Redwood City, California-based artist specializing in book arts. Davey's work pushes the boundaries of bookness by using unusual materials such as mica, acetate, flattened coins, and tea bags as pages, and making book covers from shells, coins, driftwood, rulers, buttons, and acetate. Davy has taught over 70 different book structures, holding her classes on Zoom so that students the world over can join her. Her work is available on her website, www.foundobject-art.com, and at San Francisco Bay Area Art Events. She makes a book a day and shares them on Instagram, where her handle is at Davy Kit. That's D-A-V-E-Y-K-I-T. Well, Kit Davy, welcome to Paper Talk. Hi. Happy Hi. to be here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's great to see you here on Zoom, and I see you online on Instagram a lot. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to learn about your journey. So tell me a little bit about growing up and any creative practices you had as a child. Um, well, I, I grew up in a kind of a rural area, and I did a lot of scrounging for natural objects. I used to pick flowers and make little lays. There were a lot of field mice and scorpions and lizards and things. So I used to make little houses for them, you know, mm-hmm. But and in those days they delivered milk and so the little bottle cap would be, you know, where where they would have their food and I make little beds. And of course in the morning when I woke up and found they were gone, it was always a surprise to me. So I think growing up in a natural place was very helpful. And um when I got more interested in in being a good student, though, art went out the window. So high school and college, I didn't focus on my art at all. It wasn't until um I had my first um a job that I, I uh, which was working for a magazine, that I got more interested in graphic design, and uh, and I did graphic design for Runner's World magazine and and marketing and promotions and things like that. And okay, uh, I want to ask, just wait, where did you grow up? On the San Francisco Peninsula. Okay. In, in Los Altos Hills, and that okay. was before it was Shishi. <laughs> it was out in the country. It wasn't anything special. Now it's very la di da. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, where did you go to school? College. Um, I went to Stanford. Stanford. And did you study graphic design or what? No, I did not. No. I didn't take a single art class when I was okay. at Stanford. No, I focused on languages. I studied Spanish, English, and French, and I ended up being a bilingual teacher for a while. But ultimately, ended up working at Runner's World magazine. And then um, in between there, uh, I took a year off and I just took art classes. You know, I, I was a suppressed artist or, you mm-hmm. know, I, and so 
every class that I could take at Foothill College, which is the local community college I took. I took sculpture, photography, printmaking. Um, I'm trying to think, oh, uh, ceramics and any any kind of class that I could take in the artistic field, I did. Mm-hmm. And then part-time to support myself while I took all those classes. Um, and then later, that's when I, I worked at uh, Runner's World Magazine. Uh, and then later in life, I, I started a business. This was about 35 years ago, rearranging the furniture and artwork that people already had to create a new environment. And my company was called A Fresh Look. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I would go in. And so it was like sculpting in in, uh, in people's homes, mm-hmm. rearranging things to create beauty, order, and harmony. And because I had control over my schedule, um, I started fitting in uh, collage and art classes. Um, so I would design my schedule about around being able to do that to nurture um, that freeform part of myself. And there was a period of time, like around 2008, where the economy just tanked and uh I had more time to devote to my art. So I started spending more and more time on my art. And I didn't know anything about the the uh, uh, art establishment. So I just started having art sales with other artists in my home and then doing um, uh, open studios and uh, while running my business. And then, um, so I did my business for, for many, many years. And then when I decided to ramp down my business, my spending more time doing art, just it just ramped up. And because I had these business skills for having been in business so long by myself, I started applying them to my art business, like getting a, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just want to ask, because um, running a business, that is a whole skill set. How did you, how did you learn to run that? A fresh look business. Is that what? Well, it's my, yeah, my, my business was called yeah. a fresh look, and um, uh, through college, I had worked for my my dad's little company, okay. so I understood how a business worked. Okay. And uh, then I also, uh, you know, I just had this desire to create beauty, order, and harmony, and I, all these doors opened up for me. Mm-hmm. I was on my right path. I was born mm-hmm. to do that work, and so. Mm-hmm. Someone, I, 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 newspapers were interested in what it was I does did because at that time, it, you know, rearranging people's stuff and getting paid for it, it just wasn't done. Right. So I got all these interviews in the newspaper, and they led to me teaching classes and how to do that. And I ended up having a, a column in the San Jose Mercury and later oh. in the Public Weekly. And then I read this book called um, Guerrilla Marketing. Uh-huh. So I did everything in that book to bring uh, business my way. Yeah, um, you know, the teaching the classes, uh, networking, having events at my home, and then the, uh, you know, at first I spent a lot of time just running the business, um, doing the doing the marketing, uh, but I did my own books and I did it the old fashioned way, not on a computer, you know, just mm-hmm. on paper. Um, I did uh, so I did all the accounting myself. Um, I set up my office myself. I did all the networking uh, because at first it was a hard sell. You know, here, mm-hmm. come in and rearrange your furniture and make it look fabulous. Like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so at first, it was about um, getting the word out there. And then once that happened, I had all these doors opened up for me. Um, the uh, My business came to me either by re- repeat or by referral. So once it was running, mm-hmm. uh, and it was just going out and sharing my joy of creating uh, in people's homes, and then the 
but running the business, understanding cash flow, and that business uh, will come and go, and then um, having good people skills, and then knowing how to write, because I had my own newsletter, and I was also writing for the paper. Um, So it was half of it was having enthusiasm and talent and skills. And the other half was being a businesswoman. Mm-hmm. And I find with my art business now, um, all of those skills that I use uh, in the business that I had for almost 30 years, they translate really well to my art business now. Although I do much more promoting on uh, social media. You know, social media wasn't a thing. Back yeah, there are new platforms. That's right. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I have a, I have a newsletter. I have a website, you know, and when I ran my business before way back when I didn't have a website for a long time, you know, yeah. but I ultimately created mm-hmm. a website and yeah, that but- a business to me too. Yeah. And you mentioned you had a newsletter. Was that something you printed and mailed out? I did. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was just in a, a word document mm-hmm. that I would print out. I would fold them up, mm-hmm. put them in envelopes you know, and I, I had a program that printed out labels and I put the labels on and I licked the stamps and I'd send them out uh, about once a month. Mm-hmm. And it would always create this flurry of business. Right. And yeah. I really got that my client base was um, that I needed to nurture that and keep my name in front of those people because that's where my business came from, either repeat or by referral. Or people would get to know me through the newspaper, my newspaper column, which was called right. Decorating on a Dime. And um, that nurturing those uh, relationships was important. And I still do not, that now in my art business. I have uh, I use MailChimp um, mm-hmm. to send out a newsletter mm-hmm. um, to my, my subscribers, which I love doing. And then uh, I had to develop some photographic skills. So yeah. I have a little corner here for my little art studio, you know, my, my four by four foot art studio. <laughs> and uh, I'm doing air quotes here. Um, so I send out my newsletter. And of course, I have a presence on Instagram. And um, I'm making my art. I'm in my studio every day, six to eight or nine hours, uh, making art and managing the business. Yeah, yeah. So you started to talk about that transition where you switched. Um, So let's talk about that. And I was I'm happy to hear how you yeah, about nurturing your list, because that is so important. And I'm guessing some of those people from early on are still following what you do today. Oh, yeah. Yeah. um, When I had my design business, I would have open houses so that people could see that I walked my talk, but it was mm-hmm. also to sell my art. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I would invite eight or nine other artists and they'd set up throughout my house and then people could walk through the house and my garden and then, and buy stuff. Right, <laughs> right. So, um, you know, when I hit a certain age, I decided to, to ramp down my business. And then at the same time, I had more, more time to devote to my art. And uh, the art uh, just it just gripped me and I, I, I just felt like my inner gleam was so nourished and so wanting me to spend more time there. And so it was a very easy transition from letting, you know, I stopped sending out my newsletter to my, my business clients. I stopped writing for the newspaper and then I set a date to um, take my last client. Mm -hmm. And then when I hit that date, then I was pretty much full time into my art because my art business had grown during that time. Um, so it was a very easy 
easing out of my my design business and kind of mo- moving forward into into my art business. Does that, and, does that answer your question? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And what was what was your art business then? Around what year was that? Oh my gosh! Let's see. Uh, I've been doing. I would say I started devoting time to doing my art when I was still when I still had my uh, full time art business. That was about 1998. Mm-hmm. Um, where I would fit art in uh, during during the work week and on weekends when I wasn't with clients. And then it just started to take more and more time uh, of my time. And I would say I've been full-time into my art for about, uh, I wouldn't say full-time, you know, I'm in my art full-time now, um, but I would say five or six years ago, um, I closed my business down and devoted uh, more time uh, to my art. And things that got me me into my art practice were uh, there's a, a 50 and 50, event in in um, Pacifica where you're challenged to create 50 works of art in 50 days and then you um, it's displayed in a gallery in Pacifica and uh, uh, you know you, you sell your art there so it got me in the practice of being in my studio every day to make something and then something else that helped with that was uh, the hundred day project um, right which is, it, you know, you, you go on Instagram and it's, you can just find it, uh, the 100 day project or the hashtag also, hashtag mm-hmm. the 100 day project. And uh, which I did uh, the first time, I think five or six years ago. And that got me in the habit of making something every day. And my commitment was back then to make a piece of artwork um, that was either a book or use parts of books every day for a hundred days. So that just set me on my feet to be making art every single day. Both those, those things contributed. Yeah. I love that. I teach a 30 day course called weave through winter where we do a daily practice and we set an intention to weave paper every day. And it's so exciting um, and fun to do in a group. So the hashtag or on Instagram, people are all doing their own hundred day projects, but you can check in and see what everyone's doing and kind of be accountable to post your, what you're doing every day and then see what others are doing. And it (laughs) seems like you've just, you just continued. You, you, you have a daily practice now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, Yeah. definitely. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the hundred day uh, um, project, which I've done for many years now, it just, it solidifies the daily practice. Right. Because it's easy. I mean, life happens. And the laundry is more fun sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. Going to the studio and making stuff. But um, no, I pretty much do art every day, except for if we're on vacation or I don't know. I I haven't gotten sick for a long time, but um, there isn't anything that would keep me from doing my art on a daily basis. Yeah. So describe what your art is now. Um, I principally make artist books now, although I do um, also uh, do paper art mm-hmm. and uh, the paper art being typically three dimensional structures, um, uh, uh, shadow box altars um, or some kind of origami um, I also do matchbox art where I create little scenes in, in the matchboxes. But I would say most of my time now is creating one of a kind 
artist books. Although sometimes I will make multiples of one book. Um, but pretty much every book that I make is, is one of a kind. And I love to push the boundaries of what a book is mm-hmm. and use all kinds of different materials to make the books and then um, explore the different structures, um, different kinds of bindings, foldings. And I personally hate stitched bindings. So <laughs> they're very humbling. They're really humbling. They're hard to do and they're not fun. Yeah. Right. <laughs> So repetitive. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have to have a book with multiple pages. I'm just not into making blank books or books. My books are generally smaller and shorter. Every page is uh, either has a collage or um, is sculptural in some regard. So um, I leave the, the uh, stitch bindings to other um, artists who love to, to stitch. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. I'm kind of in the same boat. Or when I make a stitch binding, I hire someone to to do that part. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So, um, well, how did you discover artist books? And you mentioned Foothills Community College. I know they have an active book arts group. Is that where you discovered them or did you find them somewhere Um, else? Actually, they no longer have a a program there. Because the the, uh, instructor, Kent Mansky, who um, really spearheaded the the program there he was a printer mm-hmm. but he also uh, taught uh, bookmaking and he helped start the um bay area book artists right of which i remember and when i say bay area artist i mean the san francisco bay area um so i was taking collage classes uh you know that was something that i fit in once a week during my week when i was working full-time and and i started uh, when we would have a challenge, let's say the challenge was a one word journey, mm-hmm. I would end up making lots and lots, not just one collage. You know, some people would be working studiously on, on one piece and I would end up making a whole series of them. And then it just made sense to make a book out of those. Uh-huh. And, um, and at first I had no idea what I was doing. And and one of the people in that collage class said, you know, I, I noticed that you like to make books. You might be interested in, in going to a meeting of the Bay Area book artists. Mm. So she was like this little angel. You know, mm. all these angels, these creative artistic angels have come my way to to, to lead me on mm. the path to future enjoyment and discovery. So I started going to the meetings and uh, learning from other book artists and from, from Kent how to make artist books. And I just thought, oh, my God, I found my people. Yeah. You know, making books. It, it incorporates, you know, I love chunky art. I, I was never good at drawing or painting or any of that. That just didn't appeal to me, and I wasn't good at it. It wasn't fun. But um, doing collage and incorporating them into books, here's a chunky piece of art that you can interact with. You know, you turn the pages and things, you can make things move in it, and the book has a sound and it has a smell, and a person kind of, who's looking at it, and as I'm creating it, you have this relationship with it. So it it uh it's just a wonderful medium that um it uses all different kinds of skills and and also if you don't have any so-called skills or talent in, in an area it doesn't matter you know right <laughs> if you can if you can use a pair of scissors and glue yeah. you know and you you can follow instructions you can make amazing books <laughs> so yeah. that's how I got into bookmaking you know low these many years 
was from this little uh, angel uh-huh. mentioned well, he might be interested in this. Right. Oh, that's cool. And I know you have a love of found objects. How did that begin? Um, maybe even way earlier. Or oh, I'm just a collector. Of, you're a collector. Of, yeah. Yeah. You know, I go to the beach and I, oh, look at, wow, those rocks are so amazing. And, uh, you know, I arrange them by color. Wait, we used to have a little beach house over in Pacifica. And so I arranged them by color on the little retaining wall. Mm. And then uh, finding weird seaweed objects and, and making arrangements of those. And um, as I said, when I was a kid, I used to make these little house structures. And um, I, I love playing with chunky things. And oh, along the way, uh, when I was working with one of my clients, when uh, her house was up in the city and there was this amazing sculpture piece out of all this, these wire bits. And I asked her about it and it was her daughter and her daughter had made this amazing sculpture piece. This was like 25 or 30 years ago. And I thought, Oh my gosh, you can make stuff out of stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I just started, uh, you know, and I'm a scrounger, a dumpster diver and you find amazing things on the street. So I would just find things and then put them together into I don't know. It's hard to describe uh, creatures or assemblages. Mm -hmm. And then I, for a while, I really got into making um, uh, shadow box altarpieces out of cigar boxes. Mm -hmm. So I'd start with some kind of a a centerpiece and then add things around it. So it was a little environment. And that's why my business is called found art, found object art. Um, Because years ago I, I did, quite a bit more of the found object pieces uh, than I uh, did of the paper and and book arts. But now, I mean, I still do uh, some found art pieces, especially with driftwood. I make stuff. I I don't know. It's hard to describe over the radio. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Well, we'll we'll link to your website and all of that in the show notes. And I want you to talk a little bit about your studio space because um, you have a great video that I'll link to also where, and I'm sure people ask you questions and that makes you say, Oh, I should make a video about this. So I don't have to answer this every single time or, but you have, yeah, you have. um, And let's talk about papers that you collect as well. Cause I know you have. Okay. Um, So my studio space um, I didn't used to have a studio. You know, mm-hmm. I did my art on the dining room table. Mm-hmm. And it was such a pain to have to clear things away right. um, when I devoted time to art and th- so that we could eat. Mm-hmm. And so I just had this vision. And also my business was growing and I was in a cramped little space. So I designed a, a studio space over the garage and uh, as the world headquarters of my business, <laughs> world headquarters <laughs> of Fresh and also as a space where I can make my art and not have to put things away. So I designed it to, uh, it was a dream space for me. Yeah. And so uh, in the, in this space, in the middle of the room, I have a huge work table that also houses uh, all my papers. You know, I, I need to see what I have or I don't remember that I have right. it. Mm-hmm. So I have my papers and also some chunky things here. It's an L-shaped configuration. And then I've got a big area where I work. I need to spread out. You know, whenever I get together with our other artists, I say, okay, I'm going to win the prize for taking the most space. <laughs> I need space. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. 
And then, uh, and there's a lot of creative chaos here. You know, I don't, I don't have to put things away. You know, putting yeah. things away is a stalling technique as far as I'm concerned. And also it takes too much time. Mm-hmm. I want to make my art. I don't want to be organizing and putting things away. So my my space is divided in, into zones. I've got my creative space in the middle where all my papers are and where I make my stuff. And then um, I have a my uh, paper flat or uh, my book flattening space, which is just a stack of dictionaries. You know, I'm not into high tech, so when I need to uh, uh, flatten uh, paper or book covers, I just put them underneath this big stack of uh, dictionary uh, uh, dictionaries, and then I've got a little um, photo studio where I've got my tripod and then uh, it's like a white fabric box that gets natural light on both sides. And then I do a lot of photocopying. So I have a photocopying space. Um, I use a photo paper, which is uh, by Canon to photocopy papers that I know, I mean, I only have one piece of it and I'll never be able to find another piece. So I will photocopy that. And also I do a lot of work that requires to have uh, paper and, or excuse me, color or, or pattern on both sides. Mm-hmm. So this way I can put the paper in the printer, um, let it run through and it photogra- uh, photocopies on one side. Then I turn that over um, and then run it through on the other side. So then I have paper that has pattern on both sides. I sell a lot of my art, actually most of my art from my website so I have a shipping station where I have my boxes and there's a scale and then the paper that I wrap uh, things in so they don't get messed up. And then I have a, a big library of um, uh, books that I use for um, making my books. So I've got yearbooks, old atlases, uh, Japanese magazines, Chinese textbooks, um, Let's see, uh, books, vintage books on uh, animals, flowers, fish, um, dictionaries and encyclopedias uh, of every description. Uh, I have tons and tons of books that, that I use for for my fodder. Um, yeah, to- and listeners, you, you should really watch this video that I mentioned, and I'll put the link again in the show notes, because she shows everything she just described. And like the heavy books that she uses as her press and the shipping station, you make primarily small books. So it's this cute collection of little boxes right there, ready to go. So important what you said about just having things out and ready, having Mm. a station where you can photograph your work. Um, I, I set up my own photo booth too, because, oh my gosh, taking everything down and then putting it back up. Yeah. Yeah. It's a super staller. Yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You see something out of the corner of your eye, and you go down the rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have a gathering space too, because I do uh-huh. meet with friends and artists. So there's like a little living room, yeah. and it's, it's a complete living space. I got a fireplace that heats it. There's a a full bathroom, and then I have a little kitchen here with a sink because I need a sink since I'm right. I'm using glues and paints, so I need to have water accessible too. Yeah, right, and so. I wanted to ask two questions about the so what you just talked about. So where do you collect you, those books that are in your library that you use for your collages and artist books? And you mentioned um, 
printing. Like maybe you find a picture of a bird and you know you only have one, so you'll do this photocopy system. Is your printer, do you have special printer, special ink, anything like that? Well, I'll answer that question first. Okay. And I get asked that question a lot. I have the cheapest one from Costco. Okay. And it's like five or six years old. It's a an HP 4520 NV, E-N-V-Y series. Oh, it yeah. It's the little one. cartridges. And, mm-hmm. and I have taken advantage of their uh, system. Uh, it's where I just play, pay a flat fee per month. It's like 13 or $14. And uh, that gives me 300 copies a month. And they automate somehow my computer communicates over the internet and lets HP know that I am low in ink. And so I get a regular supply of these cartridges. So I never get stuck without ink. Ah. It's wonderful. Yeah. That's a great tip. Mm -hmm. Um, So my printer is nothing special. Really. It's not, but the, I think it's the paper that makes it. It's photo paper. It's not just cardstock or, or your typical computer weight paper. It's, paper that's meant to receive color uh, from a computer printer. Right. And uh, it's, I just get it on Amazon. And uh, once I, it, I get single uh, paper that's meant to be copied on one side, but uh, the other side receives ink just as well. It might be a little bit less colorful, mm-hmm. but usually for my needs, it doesn't matter because it will be, it's not, and I'll, I'll pick the most colorful side for, the platform for what I'm going to use it for. Right. Um, so my, my uh, uh, copier is nothing special. And uh, where do I get my, uh, my books and papers? So uh, there are multiple libraries in my area that have uh, uh, friends of the libraries mm-hmm. that have sales on a regular basis mm-hmm. where uh, you can go and buy books for a pittance yeah. and they take that money and they support the local library. And uh, several of these libraries, they have books that they think they can't sell. So they will put them out in front for free. And okay. these books are the books that are perfect. <laughs> you know, I'm, I've gotten all these great um, Chinese uh, textbooks <laughs> with underlining where the student was underlining. And uh, so I've gotten, somebody went to medical school. So I've got all these medical school books with little notes in them for mm-hmm. free. Right. And then uh, occasionally um, if I need, uh, let's say, like I did one book that, that was um, about sailing and ships and the ocean and the meaning of the ocean. So I just went to eBay and I, I wrote in vintage books on sailing vessels. And I've gotten some great books for not very much money from eBay I go to garage sales and flea markets. There are two different flea markets that happen once a month a month in my area, and I can get books for next to nothing. And then um, my Bay Area Book Artist Group, when we get together, we always have a free table where mm-hmm. we bring things that we no longer want or think we can use. We put them on the table, and we ex- we exchange with each other. So I've gotten some amazing books that way. Um, and then uh, uh, sometimes, uh, you know, I said, I'm a dumpster diver. And <laughs> one of my favorite stashes came from a neighbor down the street who, sticking on his recycling bin, were all these stamp albums and then 
letters from foreign mm-hmm. countries. And I guess his his dad had died and he was cleaning out his house. And yeah. he was standing out in front of his house. And I said, oh, my gosh, you're going to recycle those? Can I have those? And he said, sure, take them. And I got these amazing, amazing uh, uh, s- stamp books and collections of stamps and envelopes and things. So, you know, I'm constantly on the lookout. I'm constantly yeah. on the lookout. But I'm big about, I mean, I don't want to go to a, a a paper store and spend $10 on one sheet of paper. Right. And it's so precious, I'm afraid to use it, you know? So I've, I will just hoard it. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of using it, or I may use it, but, you know, just, okay, I'll just use this little corner here. Um, oh, yeah, I'm just looking at my, my paper stash here. Uh, wrapping paper, great source. Uh-huh. Um, posters. There's a company called uh, Cavallini. Yeah. Cavallini Paper Company. Mm-hmm. And they don't have their own store or website. They sell through paper stores. But their warehouse is uh, about half an hour drive from here. And once a year, they have a warehouse sale. And I can get their posters for $1 each. Oh, wow. And then they have uh, discontinued calendars that have these amazing uh, vintage graphics on them. Um, So, And then maps. People are constantly throwing Mm -hmm. away maps. Mm -hmm. Everyone uses Waze or MapQuest now. um, And then one of my clients, when I I had my business, one of the things I did was was help people organize their homes. Because a lot of times, before we could move furniture, we'd have to... <laughs> you know, move all the crap out of the way. Yeah. And so um, you know, I got wonderful topo maps. And then so one of my clients was a pilot. So all um, these uh, the maps that pilots use, which of course are now uh, computerized. So I'm continually on the lookout. Right. I, just everywhere. I mean, there's yeah. paper everywhere. Our, our our cultures like that. Um and so I, I suggest to anyone who uh wants to increase their hoard. <laughs> Put it out there and stuff will come to you. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've done that. I had a map project and I requested yeah. people send me like one strip and I got lots of large envelopes with offers for boxes. <laughs> so, yeah, the people don't want to throw things away. So yeah. they'd rather give them to someone who's going to use them. So that's yeah. that's awesome. Hey listeners, let's take a little break here and I want to tell you about the Paper Year, my online membership club, which is now open for registration. This is an annual subscription club, kind of like a year-long online class, featuring a new paper project every month. Get inspired with video tutorials and written project instructions designed to spark ideas that keep you creating all month long. Explore creative paper techniques including origami, pop-ups, paper weaving, book arts, paper cutting, and more. And join our growing community of paper lovers online to learn and share in a warm, encouraging, supportive, creative community. Visit HelenHebertStudio.com to find out more and hold your spot or sign up. Registration is open December 20th through January 9th, 2023. The first project of 2024 will be delivered on January 2nd. And as soon as you sign up, you'll have access to the library of all of our past projects. Now back to our conversation. I'd like to talk a little bit about your, your just your daily practice now and how you generate ideas. And I know you post a book a day on Instagram. How does that flow with um, 
you're making? Like, are you making a book a day or are you, yeah, just how, how do you yeah. do that? Yeah. Well, to answer the last question, I make one or two books a day, sometimes okay. even three. Okay. And uh, over time, I've developed, uh, I guess you would call a system. Because yeah. I'm so obsessed with making books, I'm thinking about them all the time. Yeah. So when I'm out for a walk, I'll, an idea will spring into my mind. Mm-hmm. Where I'm a, you're a swimmer and so am I. And so yeah. a lot of times when you're staring at the black line, uh, ideas just come into my head. So that's one one way to to that my brain comes up with ideas and then i'm also um in a, a follow of the are you book enough challenge okay. so it's hashtag are you book enough there's a one word challenge every month and that gets my brain chewing yes. on um a response to it so like one one month the, the word was weaving and another one the word was speak and uh, then uh, I can't even think of all the different, well, there's one a week and, and uh, or excuse me, one, one, one a month. month. And mm-hmm. the way my brain works, it will just chew on that idea and think of different ways to respond to that. And uh, so I may come up with four or five different responses to that. And, uh, and then there, there's another uh, group too. It's Norbag, Northern Redwoods Book Arts Guild. And they also have a, a one word a month challenge. And then there's a, an exchange uh, where you uh, exchange books with other people in the group, which I just love. So uh, this past month, the word was face. So um, I, I did a book in response. And of course, I did more than one. Um, but I, I sent that into exchange. And I think next month, it's uh, how small can you get? Mm-hmm. So I've already made a little, little tiny book that's uh, uh-huh. like three quarters of an inch square. So, uh, and then I get ideas from uh, um, Pinterest, from uh, books such as the 500 Handmade Books, which is put out by uh, Lark Books. And then there's another book by Alyssa Golden um, called 100 Handmade Books. Um so I get all these different ideas. And then also if I find something on the ground um, that I think I can make into a book, I'll, I'll pick that up. And then when I, since my mind is churning with ideas all the time, I love that part. I love that about my brain. It's just yeah. uh, generating ideas. I will, um, when I get back home or when I'm here in my studio, I will jot down the idea or draw some sketches. Maybe I'll have a piece of paper that was the inspiration and I'll put it inside a clear plastic sleeve. And then I have a box here on my desk. Uh-huh. That has like right now I have a probably 25 different ideas for books uh-huh. um, with odds and ends of either paper or sketches or just one word um, or a, a chunk of something. Yeah. Like recently I made a book using the abalone shell as a, a cover. Um, I have mica. I like making books with uh, mica for pages. So I'll have those there. And they're just in this clear plastic uh, tub right by where I sit. And if I'm not working on a a book, when I come into my studio every day, I'll flip through there and then I'll just get a feeling for Mm -hmm. what, what calls out to me. And then I'll grab that. You know, I, I, I like to work with enthusiasm. Yeah. You know, I like to respond to the urge of that, that the idea that I have generates inside of me. 
because it's so exciting to sit down and be excited about what I'm going to make and um, uh, flesh out the ideas. Like if it's a pop-up book, I really have to think in advance of what the page is going to be and how I'm going to accomplish that. So I, I may do ske sketches. I'll, I'll look through my stash of papers. Um, I have places where I, I search for images. So I may gather these things. <clears throat> Sometimes if it's a difficult structure, I might do mock-ups with a uh, scratch paper um, or, you know, just crappy paper. Cause I don't want to waste my, my good paper. <laughs> yeah. And it's to work out the mechanism. Cause yeah. a lot of times I get an idea and I think I under, I, I think I know how it's going to move, but um, I, I need to experiment to figure it out first. Right. Sure. Like how, how big the lever, lever needs to be, how big the opening needs to be. If I've got all these pages, what's the best kind of binding and then experiment with the binding and, um, so then, um, you know, once I've, I've decided what to work on and I sit down, I do all that. Um, it's like that there's like a little tornado happening in my brain and, and in my workspace. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then, then I finally kind of get settled and I know what I'm going to do. And then I just start making the book. Um, and that's what I think a lot of times I'm so excited about making the book. It never occurs to me to make another, you know, to work on an edition. Right. You know, I'm making this this individual book and I'm excited about it. And so um, I'm not thinking about I'm, it's it's one of a kind. Typically, most of my work is one of a kind. Yeah, I love everything you just said. I mean, it's you really. Yeah, I can just see the wheels turning in your brain, the excitement, the passion. And um, yeah, the fact that you have this box of ideas. Did that take you? When did you come up with that? Like, oh, I should put these. Because for me, it's like, oh, I have this thing. I know I did it, but I don't know where it is. Or I'll be going through something and I'll discover an old idea for something. And uh -huh. I was like, oh, wow. Why didn't I ever do that? Yeah. yeah. So keeping them sort of fresh in an accessible place is wonderful. I, I have them ranked, too, because, uh -huh. um, you know, the ones that I feel a lot of enthusiasm for and I know I want to get to first are here. And it starts to get pretty full of ideas. So I have another box over here in my, um, uh, this is my storage closet uh -huh. called books. I will make someday. Uh -huh. <laughs> so when I, when I recognize uh, I'm not so enthusiastic about that, I'll take the cla clear plastic sleeve and I'll move it to the second tier of ideas. Uh -huh. okay. And every now and again, I'll go to that and I'll go, Oh yeah, I forgot I want to make that book. Ooh you know, maybe I'll make it right now. Uh -huh. I'll move up in the queue of books to make. Um, so anyways, I, I'm not exactly sure how it came about, but I think I just had to figure out a way, instead of having these heaps of things on my yeah. workspace, how to make it more systematic so I wouldn't go crazy trying to dig through the piles of stuff on my on my work table. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you, I hear you. Um uh, okay, so you you talked a little bit about the mechanisms and book structures and how how do you decide and do you have like do you feel like you have certain structures that you revisit over and over are they all unique in some way and read it, listeners just go to her Instagram you'll see lots of variety of structures if you just go through those because she posts at least once a day yeah, yeah. um okay uh 
I think there are some basic structures, mm-hmm. like the I think the accordion book I I use a lot. But there's mm-hmm. so many different types of accordion books. Yeah, right. There's probably twenty to fifty different ways yeah. that you can manipulate sure. an accordion book um, by putting holes in it, and by doing pop outs, and by putting pockets, and you know, adding things onto it, and using different kinds of covers. And so I think I, I um, I'm not sure if I use it the most, but it's it's a standard. Mm-hmm. And then another. Uh, binding that I go to a lot is um, it's kind of an abbreviated accordion. It's like a little zigzag spine mm-hmm. and uh, I can fold the, the page in half to make it clasp uh, the, the, the mini uh, accordion fold. And uh, that allows me, so it's a whole series of, of skinny accordions. It allows me to put multiple pages clasping that skinny accordion uh, spine and uh, have it be the basis for pop outs or windows. Um, I'm not sure how to describe it. It's yeah. like the kind of uh, accordion that you would use to make uh, a traditional flag book. You know, right. Hedy Powell's flag yeah. book yeah. that has the three flaps or flags. Mm-hmm. Well, the foundation of that is like skinny accordion folds. Right. That's a very adaptable structure. You know, yeah, because you have the two sides of the accordion, yeah. or yeah. you can yeah go around it. What's your yeah. saying? Or yeah, you can make a, a single uh, uh, flag, or right. double flag, or triple right. flag, or you can right. have the pages grasp that um, uh, that that accordion. Mm-hmm. So I think those are probably ones that are very adaptable and that uh, I I go to. But I you know, oh, and I sometimes use. Um, for books that have individual pages, you know, not signatures, mm-hmm. um, I will uh, put a rivet in each page to protect a, a hole and a rivet. And then I will use the slip knot stitch to connect all of the pages. And um, the beauty of the slip knot stitch is you don't need, need needles and it's really easy. Mm. So, the Coptic stitch, oh my God, it drives me crazy. It just drives me crazy. So, but the slipknot stitch is really quite easy. And there are a lot of uh, things that I make that they're individual pieces of paper. They're right. not folded pieces of paper or um, signatures. So um, that is another way to to bind them uh, together into a book. And it's not hard to learn and uh, it's adaptable that way. Yeah, so I would say those are the three most mm, that, that I go to quite a bit. Yeah. Okay. I want to talk about your teaching, but first I want to mention that you just recently hit 100,000 followers on Instagram. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. And the book you made is so adorable. I'll put a link to that post. Um, it was a wonderful a video of a book with pop-ups and lots of things going on text gratitude thank you i mean really wonderful so yeah and you mentioned already that you have this shipping station so i know you're actively selling your work and just talk a little bit about that um you said you mentioned through your website but i'm uh-huh. guessing a lot of it's driven through instagram yes yeah i i am totally amazed 
that I have 100,000 followers. I mean, it is bizarre <laughs> and amazing. And I have to say that Instagram has been integral in my growth as an artist. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, I didn't do any social media like five or six years ago. Mm-hmm. But once I started getting the hang of it, um, my following started to grow. And I thought, whoa, what's what's happening here? So um, I'm incredibly grateful to that platform. It lets me share the artist's books because I, I make a little movie and you can see what's inside of it. And yeah. artist books, I don't think, are great with still photos. Right. You know, you know, and that's the, the beauty of Instagram is I can make a little movie and turn the pages and you get to see what's going on in the book, whether they're moving parts or yeah, you get to see the flow. So, um, yes, that Instagram uh, brings students to me and uh, people who would like to purchase my art. And now, uh, what was your question? I just totally went off on, on Instagram. Um. <laughs> Well, sales and marketing. So like, are you ship? How many books are you shipping a week? And your work is very affordable. And you're making this small scale, like you've figured out, I think, sort of the price point and how to make it put it all together. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my books typically sell between 30 and $300. I think that's the most expensive one on my, on my, my uh, website. And they range in size from let's say one inch square up to maximum six or seven inches of the spine. And uh, uh, I share them on Instagram. I have my newsletter. I uh, send out information that way. Um, But I also participate in um, in in-person sales. No, Mm -hmm. a lot more before the pandemic. Right. Uh, Maybe six or eight a year where I would go to the venue, set up my store Mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, sell direct to to people. I've never been one for the the uh, art establishment. I I I don't like it. I don't like that. You know, one has to an artist has to jump through all these hoops to get in a show, and then that the gallery keeps forty percent, and I don't get to meet the end user. Right. And also my my art doesn't really. I don't think it shows well in a gallery. It's something that's supposed to be interacted with. Right. And, and a lot of what's in a gallery are sculpture pieces or two-dimensional art. There are not too many places that just, that have uh, um, artist books, you know, just, just a few in the United States, as far yeah. as I know. Right. Okay. So, um, uh, and this year uh, I participated in the things are coming back in a couple of in-person sales. So there's a printer's fair down in San Jose through the um, San Jose uh, Printers Guild. And uh, it's a great celebration of paper, book arts, and they, they're really into, you know, they have multiple printing presses there. And then our Bay Area Book Artist Group, before the pandemic, we used to have a yearly jam, book arts jam. Mm-hmm. And we, um, this is our first time, this uh, past um, September 30th, I think it was, we had our first event in four years. Uh, and it was really well attended and fun. So I got to meet I mean, a lot of my followers from Instagram came. Yeah, yeah. And it was so touching and delightful to meet people in person and for people to be enthusiastic about my art. I mean, it just really touches me. Yeah. You know, my mission is to spread delight across the planet. That is my mission. And to yeah. meet people and to share, you know, this is my little creation. I made this. And then, and then oh, I love this. It touches me. Uh, just such a great experience. So those... um 
in-person sales is is also a way that I get to have my art go out into the world and and sell it. But principally, uh, it's from my website. So I'm, and I have some what one might call collectors mm-hmm. who, over the years, have bought many of my books. Mm-hmm. They will come back and, um, you know, buy multiple a variety of books. And then a few months later, they'll come back and they said, oh, I saw you posted this on Instagram. Do you still have it? And and uh, so I have a handful of, I would say they're patrons. They're yeah. really patrons yeah. who, who support me um, so that I can continue um, making my art full time and help pay the bills. And uh, it depends some days I'm I'm uh, shipping multiple books, and then there might be a few days where I'm not shipping anything. Mm-hmm. It really ebbs and flows, you know. Yeah, it ebbs and flows. And what about the? Um, do you post everything on your website, or how do you manage um, that? You're you're saying that most of your sales are through your website. Yes. So how frequently are you updating it with work? Uh, every day. I okay. Add a new, yeah. Every day. So if yeah. I post it. Before I post it to Instagram, I'll put it on my website. Right. Then I film it and share mm-hmm. it with the world that way. Right. Um, it's really amazing sometimes um, within like 20 minutes that the piece will be gone. You know, and yeah, it just, I mean, it just blows my mind. It Are you posting at the same time every day? Uh, after I come back from either a swim or a cycle. Uh-huh. I, and, you know, I walk the dog first, I, I uh, swim or cycle, I come back, I sit down, uh, I photograph the new work, post it to my website, and then do Instagram. And then the rest of the day is devoted to my art. So every day around the same time, mm-hmm. like somewhere between 9.45 and as late as 10.30 Pacific time, you know, right. I'm on the, on the West Coast. So pretty much during that period of time, that's when I post. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, out of those 100,000 followers, probably five to 10,000 are seeing it right when you post it. So I'm not surprised you would sell right away. Uh, that's really cool. Okay, you have to tell me about your swimming practice. What do you do? Well, um, you know, I started swimming when I was a kid, age uh-huh. group, as you probably did. You know, I, I, I uh, swim yeah. age from age five. I did not swim competitively until college, which is oh. really weird that I joined yeah. the swim team in college, but yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, I swam uh, age group until I was about 14 when I was in high school, you know, girl sports really wasn't a right. thing. I mean, there were a couple teams that I went mm-hmm. out. I think there was volleyball, softball and tennis. Um, but then when, when um, uh, after I, I got out of college, I started uh, swimming and getting into triathlons because okay. I worked in the world magazine right? and I was running, swimming and cycling. So I, I just, I swam three to five times a week when I, when I worked there. And then I just continued uh, swimming um, throughout my, my working life. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd say the last maybe 15 years, um, a couple of those days that I swim a week, it's with masters, the masters. Okay. Yeah. So it's a coach workout. And the um, and and she whips my butt. Yeah, <laughs> and I, you know I've I've gotten slower over the the years. So you know now I'm in lane two. I used to be in, like in lane four, and now I'm in lane two. But I don't care. And then I you know I do swim a couple of days a week on my own 
not during a workout. And that's when I'm staring at the black line, meditating and, you know, thinking. Oh, cool. (laughs) Well, yeah, I said I swam in college and then I've just kept it up. And um, there was a while I swam by myself for a lot, a lot of years. And there was a while when I was in New York City where there was a guy who had also swum in college and we would meet a couple mornings a week. And then when I moved to Colorado 11 years ago, I found a master's team that I could finally join because I had children prior to that. And it was just too complicated, the timing. But so now I swim three mornings a week with this group and they're all doing like triathlons and competing. And I, I did a couple of triathlons 30 years ago, but I wasn't for me. But I really enjoy the swimming and uh, cool, cool, cool. So let's wrap up with, I know you teach and I want to talk about your teaching online and in person and just how that has ebbed and flowed and what you're doing now. Yeah. Um, I started teaching years ago. I I taught uh, classes having to do with with my uh, business as a designer. I taught a class on how to redecorate using what you already have. And then I taught a staging class and how to how to stage your own home for sale using what, what you have. And then um, as I started doing uh, more art, um, I uh, decided that I would start teaching some of these uh, things that I was enthusiastic for and that didn't require a teaching credential to, to do. So adult mm-hmm. school. Mm-hmm. So I started teaching um, like a 10 projects to do with matchboxes. And then I taught a shadow box uh, altar class. And then I taught classes in uh, 10 projects with playing cards. And then a greeting card class where I taught 20 different greeting card structures in one class. And then as I got more competent as a book artist, then I started teaching uh, uh, book arts classes. You know, at the and arts where, yeah. Where were you teaching these? All of these? Um, let's see the, the, at uh, local adult schools, okay. community service classes, uh, the junior college. Mm-hmm. And then I did teach uh, in Guatemala a couple times. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a, a woman who led workshops in Guatemala and Antigua. So I taught bookmaking down there. And then, um, so my, my classes were in person up to that point. And, you know, I'm really a technophobe. My, my computer scares me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, I'm a late adopter of everything, you know, Oh, website. Oh no, not that. Yeah. Um, but, um, when the pandemic started, uh, someone from Airbnb contacted me about teaching uh, bookmaking. Oh. He saw that I, I had followers on Instagram. He said, you, you know, I see that you've taught uh, classes in person. How about doing it uh, over the Internet? Because the world had closed down and Airbnb had just been blown out of the water. Oh, no one yeah. was traveling or staying anymore. So they're trying to develop ways to create, create income. Mm-hmm. And I, I said, well, I don't know anything about how to do Zoom or, you know, use my computer. <laughs> so he said, I'll teach you. So they trained me how to do that. I, amongst myself, amongst all these other people who offered Airbnb experiences, I started teaching uh, this one structure. I taught it multiple times a week to different audiences through their platform. And along the way, I thought, you know, I don't need them to teach Right. Classes myself. So I thought, let me just develop my own classes because they would, they would keep a percentage. Yeah, sure. And then they would have to bring followers to me. But I found that in many of my classes, it was my followers and Mm -hmm. students 
students who were coming to the classes, not who Airbnb brought to me. Right, right. So I started, I figured out how to create my own Zoom account, how to use uh, my phone to aim at my hands and talk to my computer at the same time. And then I just started promoting them on uh, with my newsletter and my website and over Instagram. And slowly but surely, I started, at first I taught a couple of different structures mm-hmm. per week, mm-hmm. you know, pretty, and sometimes three three classes a week. And then uh, after a certain point, I, I slowed it down to now where I just teach one class a week by Zoom. And honestly, I don't think I'm going to go back to teaching um, book structures in person. Um, mm-hmm. I have wonderful students from all over the world right. that participate because of Zoom. You know, yeah. people from UK, the UK and Europe, when I teach 1030 on Saturdays, it's 630 p.m. their time. So they can come. I've had uh, people from Argentina and from Venezuela and Mexico, Guatemala, uh, all over the United States. And it's wonderful to be able to reach all these people and um, to be at home in my studio. Yeah. <laughs> so if I forget something, all I have to do is reach across my table <laughs> to get it. And then, yeah. um, you know, a big part of my class was I, I would supply pretty much all the materials, my in-person classes, and I'd have to drive to the venue and set it up and get all, everything ready. And now this way, I, I provide a list of uh, the sizes of paper they'll need and the, to- the tools they'll need. So they do that part themselves. Right. And uh, then it just liberates me to teach the structure, which is the fun part. Right. You know, and guide people through the process um, uh, so that they, if they've got questions, they can ask right then. We make it together, and at the end, people share. And that's the most sparkly part of the classes is they get to, I get to see, um, right. like, their snowflake, their fingerprint. Everyone creates something different, and to see their creations at the end and get ideas from each other about variations for that book structure, and, and people share their sources, too. So that's how it evolved to to my teaching once a week, um, I sometimes repeat classes right. um, uh, that are popular. Um, and then, uh, but I'm always developing new classes. So I've taught probably, I would say, 75 different book structures okay. over a period of time. And and uh, some of those, maybe 20 of those I've taught multiple times because there's a demand for it. Yeah. Right. So, okay. So you have the system that it's every Saturday. Yeah. Every You're Saturday. Every Saturday. And then um, do you limit the number that can sign up? Um, not, anymore. Uh-huh. not anymore. I used to, um, but now because I offer that people can just get the recording if they can't make the live session, um, like one, one class I had, you know, for me, 50 people is a lot Yeah. for my classes. Um, but then the people that actually show up will be a more manageable size. Right. So I can see, like, maybe it'll be max 25 or so, because then I can see them on the screen right. and uh, relate to them and answer mm-hmm. their questions. Um, but I, when I used to not record the classes, I would limit it to a maximum of 20. Right. Because then I felt like I could help everyone yeah. personally, yeah. and then I could see their faces on Zoom. But now I don't limit anymore because there are lots and lots of people who, for whatever reason, can't make the live session. And so they'll just... Everybody gets the recording, whether they're there or not. Right. right. The recording, and I make it available for uh, 30 days after after the class so they can watch it at their leisure. 
Yeah. 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 (laughs) And do you have people that come every week? I do have some, Uh some students who have taken every single one of my classes. Yeah. Yeah. And I just love that. And some, some I have met some, like I had one person come all the way from North Carolina, North Carolina to come and meet me. Mm-hmm. When she was she was out here in California, but it was so wonderful connecting with her, and we're still in communication. And I do also provide one on one teaching with people, and she's she's had me, uh, she's hired me for hours at a time to to guide her through certain processes and and answer her specific questions. But yes, I do have multiple people who have who have taken all my classes, and um, it's really delightful to see the same people and develop those relationships. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so cool. Okay. And let's, uh, I think you had a couple of recommendations. Oh, yeah. Um, I, the, a book I mentioned was the 500 Handmade Books, uh, Inspiring Interpretations of a Timeless Form. And it is so mind expanding because there are 500 different artist books. And uh, I have riffed off of the ideas here. Mm-hmm books where I think, oh my gosh, you can make a, a book with twigs for the spines or right. you know, here's yeah. a different way to alter photos. And so it's a good um, inspiration point. And yeah. then the other one I mentioned was Alyssa Golden's uh, 100 Handmade Books. So it has the actual directions for making the books. And then tools that I like, um, uh, I I sometimes use a bone folder, but mostly to, to make... Um, fold to, to press folds uh-huh. and i like to use an embossing tool for scoring it's by fiskers and it has these little rounded nibs on the end i'm holding it up so you can can see it yeah. in the course. yeah the people can't but it has a, a broader little uh kind of little ball or nib on the end and then a, a narrower one on the other and i find that it makes really good score lines mm-hmm. um and i will either use it with my ruler or with a scoring board which is something I also recommend. I use my scoring oh, yeah. every day. And yeah. I, I have a lot of different companies make them. Mine is Martha Stewart's. <laughs> um, so this is a tool I really like. And then I often, um, uh, I like rounded corners on the pages of my books. Uh-huh. So it's really, um, uh, are improved mm-hmm. with, with the rounded edges. So there's a tool by Cropodile, and it's oh. a corner cropper. And uh, it you, you put the edge of the the, the, the right angle, the uh, edge of the paper in there and, and chomp down, and it makes a really nice curved edge. Yeah. And it, it's so good it can cut through matte uh, board so it, it, oh. or multiple pieces of paper. Right. It won't cut through daily board or book board, but it will cut, cut through um, uh, uh, matte board. So I, I really like that tool too. So I'd say those are probably my my uh, favorite. And then, of course, my brain. I love my brain. My brain yeah. is, uh, works for me. It's a good tool. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Another one. It's a, a ruler that you can see through. It's by oh, yeah. Kim Holtz. And it's great for being able to – it has a, a metal edge on one side and then just a regular edge on the other. You can see through it, and you can – uh, put it on top of something where you need to uh, cut right angles or or put tick marks and uh, 
I've gone through a whole bunch because sometimes I forget to move it when I switch it to the metal edge size when I'm using an X-Acto knife. So I chip the plastic edge. So yeah. I've gone through 45 or six, but that's a great tool too. Yeah, I love the see-through rulers, but I didn't know about the Tim Holtz one. So yeah, we'll list that. Okay. Um, yeah, and Kit, where can we find you online? Uh, my website is www.found-object-art.com. And then my Instagram address is at Davy Kit, D-A-V-E-Y-K-I-T. Yeah. Okay. Well, fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a delight and um, enjoy your art making for the rest Thank of the day. Thank you so much. It was a sincere pleasure. I really appreciated talking with you. It was fun. Hey, paper friends. Did you know that I write a weekly blog called The Sunday Paper featuring stories of people doing exciting, innovative, and beautiful things with paper? Sign up at HelenHebertStudio.com slash blog. I'm also creating a lot of content over here, and the best way to stay up to date is to join my newsletter list to learn about free tutorials, online classes, workshops, and the annual Redcliffe Paper Retreat, which takes place right here at Helen Hebert Studio. You can find out more at HelenHebertStudio.com. This wraps up our episode, and if you enjoyed the show, I'd appreciate it if you could leave a review over on iTunes. This helps others find out about the podcast. Special thanks to Gary A. Hansen for the sound editing and Peter Thomas for the music. Visit HelenHebertStudio.com and click on Podcast, where you can find out more about these guys, subscribe to this series via iTunes, and listen to other episodes and access all of the archived shows. Talk to you soon. Besides the season, the main contains